Welcome to Business as an Adventure, a podcast dedicated to improving the businesses and lives of creative entrepreneurs. Together, we interview high-performing entrepreneurs and creatives from all over the world, explore what makes them and their business unique. And along the way, we uncover their secrets to help you craft your own adventure in the world of business. All right. So today's guest is Jared M. Gant, an award-winning wedding photographer, educator, father, husband, and genuinely good dude from Colorado. He's a brand ambassador for several different companies in the photography world, including SLR Lounge, MagMod, Holdfast, and many more. Uh, He and I met through the SLR Lounge ambassadorship, where uh, he works to organize all of his crazy creatives into some sort of semblance of a working team to help out hundreds of thousands of photographers around the world alongside the SLR Lounge staff. His photography is creative, evocative, and pushes the boundaries of what most people see as wedding photography with his use of light and techniques to craft beautiful imagery. In his past life, he studied international business, which makes him wildly suited to have a chat with us here, because as you know, we love the business side of photography. So we're stoked to have him here today. So without further ado, Jared, welcome to the show. Thanks, Dave. That was uh, that was quite the intro. <laughs> <laughs> Made me sound really good. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I just, it's all stuff off your website. No, I'm kidding. Yeah. It's really <laughs> good <right>. flattery. <laughs> <laughs> How are you doing today? I am doing awesome. Doing good. Yep. Well, we're happy to have you here. So we love to to talk the business of photography. So how did your time in international business school translate into you becoming a wedding photographer? And how has that helped you along the way? Oh, good question. So the main motivation for me to get that international business degree to be to be very honest and frank was it was a the fastest route for me to get my bachelor's degree because uh i had traveled throughout south and central america and speak fluent spanish and so i was able to take an, a latin american american international track with that business degree and test out of uh, let's see i test out of 21 uh, language credits which was, you know, almost a full year worth of school. And rather than those language credits just going nowhere, and rather than majoring in a language, I was able to use those for the the international business degree. So if I'm being super, super honest, that was my biggest motivation is it took my bachelor's degree from a four to five year degree to uh, I, I did my bachelor's in two and a half years by testing out of as much as I could. Damn, that's all right. Super smart. <laughs> yeah, super so, smart. So that, so how did that prepare me? Well, that helped me recognize loopholes and resources and ways to get stuff done proficiently and quickly. And that's, that's exactly what I tried to do with my degree. And uh, that obviously comes into play with uh, entrepreneurship or running any sort of business. After college, I did take a job doing international PCI compliance, which is credit card security, basically. And I was managing these these accounts all over the world. It wasn't just in South and Central America, but uh, that was your typical eight to five type job. And I did that for a couple of years while my wife went through grad school. And then as soon as when she was approaching the end of her grad school, we took a summer out to Colorado. She took an internship and I took a leave of absence for my job and just came in and supported her. And during that summer, I had these two months to essentially just play, if I'm being really honest. And that is when I dove into photography, uh, just more than just a hobby or a side, you know, interest. That's when I dove into it in, in more depth and, and fell in love with the actual process of photography. And see, that was back in 
that internship was back in, I think, 2010-ish. And then when we went back to Salt Lake City for her to finish her last year of grad school, I went, took my you know, went back to work, but the whole time I was like, oh, this, this is really not as fun as that summer was where I just got to play with my camera all summer. Uh, so anyways, I, I immediately started making the mental shift towards photography when I got back and I was doing, spending my weekends, second shooting with other photographers and gaining that experience on the ground. But it wasn't until the following year when she finished her grad program. And we decided we wanted to move to Colorado that I decided to permanently quit my day job and pursue photography full time. So I did have, you know, what, about five years or so between college and starting photography where I did your typical eight to five type job. But it was it was just I was not well suited for it. So what would you think? What would you say your your superpower in your wedding photography business is? So I think outside outside looking in, I think it's like you seem like a very organized person. You seem like you've got your business dialed in and stuff like that. We often have chats when you're talking right. about like you're like you're on top of things. But what sure, would you sure. say it, like you are really good at that? That is absolutely it. So I wish I could say I'm really super mega creative, and I don't feel like I am. I try to be, and I look for that, but I am definitely better suited at recognizing patterns and systems and processes and dissecting them and recreating them to to suit me and my business. Uh, and so that, that I would say is probably my strength. And that comes with the artistry of photography. I can look at an image, image and um, dissect it and get a really good idea of how to recreate something like that and add my own little flair to it. But I could certainly do that. And then when it comes to my business, I'm constantly, constantly reevaluating the flow of my client's experience and and what they take away from working with me. And then my side of things of just making sure everything runs as smoothly as possible. And essentially reinventing it and re, you know, redoing things almost annually for 10 years has has created this really well run machine. This, I, I hope this really great client experience with, you know, minimal hustle at this point, if, if that makes sense. So many things now have become systemized and automated and, and just second nature where I don't really have to think about it or it's already done on my behalf. And so that is, that is certainly, I would say, my, my strongest superpower. I, I don't like the idea of thinking I have a superpower, though. I'm just a normal <laughs> guy, just a normal guy doing, doing, doing my daily work. Can you talk a little bit about your, the client experience that you've crafted over the years and how that's evolved? Yeah, sure. So do you want me to dissect it? Tell you, like, like step you through the client experience as, a little as bit? As far as you want to dive into this, we are here with you. Okay, cool. So I, I'll, I'll explain to you a little bit about the client experience. So it all init- begins with just the client sending in an inquiry, right? I'm, I'm assuming on their side of things, they're browsing websites, they're searching and doing their own thing. But the, the, when I am initially put in contact with them is when they inquire. Typically, those inquiries will come either directly through my website, which is most common and where I would prefer all of them to come from, but uh, that's the most common, or they come from some of these wedding directory listings like The Knot or Wedding Wire or through social media, maybe Instagram or things like that. So when an email comes in from any of these platforms, every single one of them typically have a templated type email that is sent to me. So like The Knot has the exact same email that comes through every time. And so I have created essentially 
canned emails or, or automatic respond emails based off of those inquiries. So if an inquiry comes through from my website, it is going to, it's going to recognize that, identify that this is coming through my website. It's coming through the not, et cetera. And so that it changes the response just slightly based off of how they're inquiring so that it's a little bit more of a, of a personalized experience. I don't, when, when they inquire, I don't, I don't customize every single email. It's, they're pretty much automated, canned, but I review every single one before it's sent. So it's actually saved as a draft. It doesn't automatically reply and send it to them. It saves it as a draft. I read it just in case there's something specific that I need to address. If they have any very unique questions that I need to address, or if it's a venue that I've worked with, I might want to mention that or discuss that slightly or whatever. So that very first inquiry comes through and uh, I review it, assuming there's nothing too out of the ordinary on it. The saved email that's already saved as that draft, I just hit send. Boop. And that goes. And that's done automatically. I receive a lot of inquiries. And so I've done it that way just so that I can kind of flush through those inquiries as quickly as possible. Um, and obviously typing up every single response is not going to be proficient. So uh, that is that initial inquiry. Then from there, based off of their response coming back to me, if, if they never respond, if it's just crickets, three days later, they get a follow-up. And if it's crickets again, three days later, they get another follow-up. And then if it's crickets again on that seventh day, so seven, one week after they've inquired, they just get a real simple questionnaire. It says, hey, hate to see you go. Let us know you know, why we weren't a good fit. Uh, and it's really kind of interesting how many times people ghost me, don't say anything because whatever, there's not a good fit for whatever reason, but then they're willing to fill out this three minute survey for me and tell me exactly why we weren't a good fit. It's fantastic, <laughs> but it's really common. It's, it's interesting. They never respond to anything. I send them a survey and they're like, sure, I'll fill out this survey and tell you, you know, why we weren't a good fit. And so that is a great resource for me. But as soon as there's any sort of response back, then we start developing that client relationship. And they, the first email that I send out to them, I really try to give them a lot of tools to decide what they want to do. So I, I give them my calendar. So if they want to schedule that consultation, they can. I give them pricing so that we're not, uh, they're not thrown off guard when it comes time to discuss pricing. And, and I'm the world's worst salesperson. So I hate trying to sell things. So I'm way happier if they've already decided what they want and I could just kind of help them, you know, make a few little tweaks to it. But for the most part, they've already made that decision. So it's that, that works really well for us. But, but essentially that, uh, this, when they respond back, it's usually them responding with a booked appointment, a consultation already booked. So that is that initial inquiry process for the most part for 95% of the clients. Then once we have a face-to-face -face consultation, we, we, you know, I spend the first portion of that just uh, building a relationship of trust with them, just getting to know them, getting to know what's important about their relationship and what they value in, in each other. And so I spend probably like 15, 20 minutes just, just getting to know them, not talking photography, not talking weddings, anything of that sort. And then we talk for about 20 minutes about, uh, about photos and their wedding. And then we talk about 20 minutes about the logistics of the booking process and what they could anticipate, uh, in working with me. And that's, that's about it. It's pretty straightforward. And then afterwards, I send them all of the resources they need to, to book. And then from that time on, from the time that they book with me until their wedding day, we have about, I should go back and check, but probably about 15 or 20 pieces of resource material that covers just about everything you can imagine from what a wedding day 
timeline should look like with, with photography in mind to, you know, how to, uh, unplug your wedding to, um, you know, tools and things that you might want to have in your bridal suite, uh, just tons of fun resources that I hope are beneficial to them. And those are all sent automatically starting from the time that they sign the contract and the wedding date. They, they automatically shuffle in between those two dates so that they're appropriately, they're sent out at appropriate times. And those resources open up a lot of great conversation with my clients. So rather than them having to come to me and ask me a lot of these questions, I reach out to them, give them a resource that then opens up a good conversation. And so that's where a lot of, uh, a lot of our communication is leading up to the wedding day. And then, uh, about two months prior to the wedding is when we really start honing in on the timeline and the family shot list and really start to refine what things are going to look like. I have found that planning too much out too far in advance is almost always done in vain and we always have to flip things around and change it up, you know, right before the wedding. So two, Two months, six weeks, four weeks, right around that time is really a sweet spot where we can really start start to lock down the schedule. And uh, and we go through all of that. We do a couple more final phone calls. And, and um, in those phone calls, I'm starting to really, truly try to identify the aspects of their wedding days that are that is the most important to them um, and the most important people in their wedding as well. We identify all that. We create a document. I send it out to them to approve. And then uh, about five days prior to the wedding, I send out that document to all the vendors. So I gather all the clients provide me with all the vendor information. And if they don't provide it to me, then the vendors don't get this. But five days prior, I send out a quick introduction. Hey, I'm Jared. I'm the photographer for this weekend. Um, here's the timeline that I have for me. If there's anything I could do for you during the wedding day, please let me know. Just trying to develop again that relationship with the client, with the uh, vendors. And then the night before the wedding, they get a text message from me just saying, I'm so stoked about tomorrow. If anything's changed, reach out to me. Don't hesitate. Feel free to call me. We shoot the wedding, try to make it as amazing of an experience as possible. The day afterwards, I send all the vendors and the client just a few, just a few photos as something that they can have for social media. And then, uh, and then I do my back end of calling and, and editing and sending out the photos to be edited. And then typically about four weeks after the wedding, um, is about the time frame that we deliver the photos. We have it set up where if the photos are not delivered by that four week time frame, our clients get another email saying, Hey, what's, where, where are your photos basically? And so we answer that question before they can ask it. And we send them an email that, that tells them, you know, this is the process of making the photos perfect for you so that they just get a little peek in of, of what that process is like. And so they understand why it might take a few weeks. And that only goes out if they haven't got their photos. If they have got their photos, that doesn't go out. Um, and then we, we send that out and then we work on any sort of product orders, any album designs or anything of that sort. And then at the one year mark, uh, they either get a happy anniversary email and, and I, in that email, ask them if they want to go do a one year anniversary photo shoot. Or <laughs> if they did not order an album, I off, I give them an album offer at that point. And that is kind of, I mean, I know that's, I summarized it kind of quickly, but in a nutshell, that is my client's experience and it works very well for, for, from my experience. I have so many questions. <laughs> ask first. away, ask away. We can dissect that into as, <laughs> in, in as much first, depth as you want. I, I am so impressed, not only with, you know, how, how you're maintaining contact in a way that's automated throughout this whole process, but the fact that you're able to rattle it off like that. I mean, it's obvious that you have put so much time and energy into this that you can just 
right off the cuff. Just tell us exactly what it looks like for your clients. Mm -hmm. So first, are you using a CRM in order to help you with these workflows? Yeah, so I do use Tave. Mm -hmm. That seems to work well for for most of what I need to to do there. Mm -hmm. And then you're checking things off automatically, right? So you must just have Tave up all the time. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, for the so so when you say check it off, yeah. so the way that Tave works is every morning I get an email at eight a.m. and it tells me what it just did for me. Uh-huh. So every morning I get an email that says, "Hey, we just did these ten to do items for on behalf, you know, for you. This is the automation that mm-hmm. was triggered this morning." And so I can review that. And if there was anything that I was like, oh, shiz, that wasn't supposed to happen, I can, you know, hopefully go rectify it. But, but again, doing this long enough, all of those, uh, cogs in that system have been worked out at this point for the most part. So everything is, is pretty well run. So I do typically glance at that email that tells me what has been done. And that just lets me know where my clients are in their, in, in their experience and kind of what to anticipate with any potential questions or anything that may come, come through. Awesome. Those automations, I don't have to trigger them. Um, they are triggered based off of, so I said the, the booking date and the wedding date. Mm-hmm. So I have them based off of like six weeks prior to the wedding, 10 weeks prior to the wedding, mm-hmm. you know, four, four months prior. And then I also go one week after booking, six weeks after booking. So I work both the directions. So there's actually a period in the middle that's overlapped slightly. Um, and, and that again, I've done it that way because certain things are more port- pertinent to booking the booking experience and early on in that uh, in that time frame and other things are more pertinent to the the wedding and 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 the time frame between booking and wedding is going to be different for every couple so it's hard to 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 go from just one direction so that's why we've gone from both directions right when you say you send them resources are you sending mm-hmm. them pdfs are you redirecting them back to your website and blog posts that you've written? How do they uh, consume this information that you're sending them? So we did it for a while as these beautiful PDF style emails. But then I'm thinking to myself, man, think of all this traffic to my website that I'm missing out on. Uh, You know, if I have 40 clients a year and I send them 20 resources, that's a lot of, of traffic to my website. So I've created essentially a portion of my website for these client resources to live in. Their, their built out web pages, essentially kind of blog style. I mean, cause it's most, I mean, there's a lot of photos that are included in it. It's a lot of verbiage, but it's just essentially these, these web pages designed specifically for each particular resource. So examples of those, you know, when Estes Park caught on fire and half of Colorado was burning, you know, I created, Hey, is it safe to do a wedding in Estes Park? That was a resource material. You know, how will my photos be delivered? you know, how to have a last dance. You know, we know about a first dance. I, I step my clients through a last dance where all the guests go outside to line up for their farewell and they have a final quiet moment in the room together where I get to shoot them again and get another another great opportunity to do that. I step them through different things like how to choose their album, how to use their wedding gallery. You know, we've done a ton of different videos showing them how to how to select the photos for their albums or how to download the files. Simple if if something ever comes through to me multiple times, like, hey, I'm struggling getting my photos downloaded from the gallery. Can you help me with that? Uh, you know, after two or three times of getting that email, I'm just going to create a video <laughs> and create a blog post and send it out to all of my clients. Because if two or three are having this problem, there's probably more that are also having that problem, but aren't 
reaching out to me and are just frustrated and I don't want that frustration. And so, you know, mood boards, timelines, why I don't use a shot list, right? Everyone's like, here's my massive shot list. And, and I don't want to have that awkward conversation where it's like, no, I'm not going to use that. So I send him a resource saying why we don't use a shot list, but we do use, you know, mood boards or we do want to understand the mood and the ambiance and what you value in, in our photography and, and make sure that we are on the, you know, uh, having the same understanding. So those are just some of those resources. Wow. <laughs> your, your clients are very informed, which is great because, you know, at the end of the day, that's going to save you so much time and energy, you know, answering these questions over and over and over again. And it helps them feel empowered in their decision to hire you as well. Right. Well, if you think about it, these resources probably take, you know, once you have enough experience to just sit down and write these because you've done it enough. This is maybe a half day to maybe a full day if it's a really, really detailed resource material. Um, but, you know, say half a day to a day to write this. But if you have to deal with one client's frustration, that could last a very long period of time or multiple clients' frustrations because they don't know. And again, these resources allow me to to elevate the client's experience without me having to spend tens and twenties and hundreds of hours, you know, teaching them these things. Almost from my experience, almost all client frustration comes from a lack of understanding or just, you know, a, a misunderstanding of expectations. Uh, and so if I can make sure that they have proper expectations, that puts out fires before they ever have the chance of to begin. Circling back to that uh, survey you send a week after their initial contact mm -hmm. from that information that you get, how much of that is worthwhile, like helpful information? And, and do you pivot things in your business based upon those results? Yes and no. So most of the time, I, I'd say 90% of the time, we're not a good fit because of pricing. And that's good to know, because I need to be aware of where I am in my industry and with among my other peers. And if I wasn't filling my books to the degree that I wanted them to, then I would know that that was something that I could change to increase my bookings. Fortunately, we're able to fill our schedule at the price point that we're at and, and the way that we're doing things. But that, that it, it just reassures me that I'm playing that pricing game in a, in a good way, if that makes sense. Yeah. So I, I think it's helpful, but, but I haven't had to pivot anything as a result of that yet. You mentioned early on that you get lots of different inquiries. And I'm curious if if you're casting a wide net going after a specific type of client or wedding, or you just want to, you know, get as many inquiries in as you possibly can and then filter through that. And then what's what's driving those inquiries into your business? Yeah, yeah. No, no. So so I am targeting very specific demographics. So I have three main things that I target with my SEO. I target cult Southeast cultural weddings, so Indian weddings and, and different types of Desi weddings. Um, and I, I, I target that demographic throughout the entire state. So it's not in just one area. Most of those are in the Denver area. I target Estes Park, which is the closest mountain kind of resort town to where I live. So I can get up and back to Estes Park in the same day. I don't have to stay overnight. I love it because it's not a ski town. Uh, it has mountains, but it's mostly mountain biking, rock climbing, hiking, though, and, and then Rocky Mountain National Park is right there as well. And so it's just a good good fit for us, and it's a huge destination spot um, in our state. There's several several mountain towns that are huge destination spots, but um, Estes Park is is probably my my favorite, and it's the closest to us. 
And then I target destination weddings where Colorado is the destination. So couples from Florida or Chicago, New York, wherever, California that want a mountaintop wedding. Those are the three kind of primary targets that I, that I aim for. And we, we market for those in different ways. Those destination weddings, we primarily use wedding uh, directories. So the not, uh, if I'm being honest, because a lot of couples that are planning a wedding from out of state, they're not able to easily go and see the venues. They're, they don't have that word of mouth. And so they're relying heavily on what's on the internet. And so the knot seems to be a really powerful tool for that. And then the Southeast Asian weddings and the Estes Park weddings, we have just worked really hard on our SEO and making sure that we rank well on most of those, the most of the keywords and terms that are going to be searching for that. So if you were to search Denver Indian wedding photographer, Colorado Indian wedding photographer, or Desi, any, all of those kind of terms, you're going to see multiple web pages of ours pop up on the first page. So not just our website, but multiple pages of our website showing up on that first page. Um, and the same with Estes Park. Estes Park's a little bit more difficult because there's a lot of competition. We've been able to rank first for the last year or so, knock on wood. Let's keep things going well. <laughs> but, uh, but, but again, that's been primarily through SEO. So most of that traffic comes from just Google searching. Is that mostly like a content strategy, just getting blogs and cornerstone content and stuff like that? Yep, out? that's exactly what we've done. We we initially did a lot of blog posts, but the blog posts weren't ranking as high as we would like. So then we created specific web pages, basically home pages to our website. They they're not my home page, but they look like a duplicate copy of my home page. But the language and all of the photos and everything on it are all Estes Park related. It's a totally tangential question, but I just want to know if I've got my movie trivia right. Was Estes Park where they filmed The Shining? So, I'm not a Stanley Colorado Hotel. native. and I, Yeah, Stanley Hotel is in Estes Park. Okay. And, this, and from my understanding, the storyline is based off of that hotel, but I don't think it was actually recorded there. Okay, so the enough. story <laughs> is based off of the hotel, but I don't think they actually recorded it at the hotel. I could be wrong. I know I'm not a Colorado no native, so I'm sure some natives are like, you should know this. <laughs> Um, but <laughs> whenever somebody says this is park it's just a thing that pops into my head I, like i went there once like 15 years ago and yeah i just remember somebody mentioning it so yeah it's it's a cool hotel i've done a few weddings there my wife and her family did a big tour of it a couple years back but i somehow got uh, delegated to childcare, so i had all the kids while all the adults went <laughs> and went through the hotel so i actually haven't done they have a haunted tour that you can do of the hotel um that someday i'd love to do i think it'd be a lot of fun yeah Indy, any more questions about this client experience before I take us on a, on a left turn? Let's talk about albums really quickly. Mm -hmm. So how many of your clients choose to invest in an album? Because it doesn't come in a basic wedding package, correct? It doesn't come. So we have three primary packages and it comes in our top tier package. Mm -hmm. That top tier package, and this is, again, certainly not sales 101, how things should be done. But that top package books about 60% of the time. It's almost, it's probably one of our most popular. Reason being is we offer a true unlimited wedding day coverage package, which is rare and it's a hell of a lot of work, you guys. Um, but clients that are booking a year to two years out in advance love the reassurance that no matter what they plan on their wedding day, it's going to be included and covered. And so, um, it, so that package probably books more frequently than the others simply because they can do whatever they want on their wedding day. And they can know, hey, if we start getting ready at nine in the morning, the party goes to 11 at night, all 14 hours are covered. 
So it is included in that. So 60-ish percent just by default get albums. Uh, and then of the other clients, probably, I would say probably 25% of our other 40%. Uh, whatever that number works its way out to be, uh, you also go ahead and, and order an album. What about that one year email that goes out? Happy anniversary! You should get an album. Happy and you should get an album. How many um, people bite on that? Yeah, it's it's hit or miss. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, probably like two a year, two couples mm-hmm. a year come back and get one, and then we also do a a big Black Friday, Christmas, uh, Black Friday type sale, and we'll typically get one or two album sale orders with that sale as well are you using any sort of like automated sales tool through your galleries like pick timer or any of those other mm-hmm. yeah 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 so we we do lots of and but but so i don't have to do anything for those because those are all self-fulfilled other than canvases and albums are the only thing that i fulfill myself but all everything else we have it connected with a print lab so i don't i don't have to do anything so it's super super convenient but yeah we set up automated emails or automated sales that go out with Every single gallery or engagement galleries get a engagement album uh, or engagement book offer. Um, we have it set up with like, you know, you left things in your cart. That all is set up automatically. We do um, save the date cards uh, with our engagement couple. So those are some of those items um, in our albums. Gosh, we, we set it up with about six different automated sales that go out over about a six month period uh, after their their album is delivered. And that generates probably $10,000 worth of worth of sales every year pretty easily. And, and again, I don't have to do anything for that. Mm-hmm. And then Black Friday, huge for us. Every person that has signed into any gallery at any point, assuming that they opted in to our emailer, so they get, they get an option to opt in or opt out, and they can opt out at any point. Um, but assuming that they are opt in, we send out a Black Friday what is it? We, we Each year we do the sale a little bit different, but it's usually like a 14-day sale. And each day there's something different that they can uh, take advantage of. And literally the moment I push go on that on Black Friday, sales keep just come in, come in, come in. And it's from Black Friday till, you know, mid-December, which is pretty much the cutoff date for Christmas anyways. And we just run it throughout that time. And that generates that one click of a button generates probably $5,000, maybe, maybe more. Uh, worth of sales very easily. That's awesome. You and I have talked a lot about different paths that you can take in the photography world, whether you're going education, person workshops, online stuff, everything else like that. I'm curious in regard to all of that, what is, what does success look like to you in your photography business and looking out five or 10 years? Does that remain the same? Yeah. You know, it's, it is that's a really hard question for me to answer. I am constantly reevaluating myself and my businesses and the different options I have. We we run two businesses in our home, uh, so we have this business and then uh, we have a law business, and so I'm I'm my hands are working on both all the time, <laughs> and so I I go back and forth and and trying to figure out which route. I want to go. This business is so well organized and runs so smoothly that it's likely going to be around for a long time until that, you know, isn't happening because I can run the photography business outside of the physical shooting of weddings and events. It requires about 10, 10 ish hours a week of work. Um, so obviously during the wedding season, I am, you know, very, very busy when we're shooting wedding after wedding and Friday, Saturday, Sunday. 
because in Colorado, it is very much a seasonal thing. There's very few winter weddings. They all come from June to September. So you have a five-month time period where 90% of the weddings are going to be. So during that time, I'm working 100-plus-hour weeks because I'm I'm shooting all weekend, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, almost every weekend. But during the rest of the year, it is very hands-off. So what does what does, uh, what does this look like for me? I mean, ultimately, I want to... I want to have the financial means to to support my family and support myself and my interests and and I I want to have the autonomy with my schedule to do essentially what I want to do and if that means spend time with my kids and family I want to be doing that if I want you guys are going to totally laugh but like right now after we get off this interview I'm going to go to Lowe's and I'm going to buy a bunch of PVC pipe and I'm creating a dog agility uh trick course in my backyard to go play with my dog in my backyard <laughs> like I want to have the laughing. schedule to do that yeah. <laughs> I'm like as we were, I was waiting to hop on this I'm like sitting here like drawing out like, my designs <laughs> and I'm like my dog's going to be a trick dog <laughs> you know <laughs> <laughs> that is super fun for me. That is super important to me to be able to have the autonomy to do that. My Friday's open. My wife worked late last night and she decided to take today off because she did a double shift basically yesterday. So our Friday's a play day. We're going to go have fun. And that is what I really value in, in being an entrepreneur in general. Now, which entrepreneurial route I go, I'm going to stick with where I am for the time being. I've dabbled in education for some time. Uh, and, and, and for me... Ed- <laughs> For me, the education side of things is really hard for me to, to, to grasp it. I, I'm so far behind in the, in creating valuable curriculum and content that it would take a tremendous amount of time to build that content, to build a, a curriculum that is of such value and is unique from what's already out there that it, it, I don't know if it's really worth it to me. Um, maybe if my weddings weren't if I wasn't so heavily booked with weddings, I would look to fill more time with something else within the industry. But I think for the time being, I'm going to kind of keep my head down a little bit and stick with what I'm doing with weddings. It's working really well. It's paying really well. And it allows me to have that, that flexibility. And then on the other, with the other business, that business has tremendous opportunity for growth tremendous opportunity for growth. We've only, that business has only been around for 18 months. We've already hired two employees and we could easily tomorrow hire two more and keep their schedules full. And people plan on spending money when they work with attorneys. It's not, it's not a shocker to them when they're spending $10,000 with an attorney. When they have to spend $10,000 with a photographer, it's, it's a shocker. It's a little bit more different of an experience. So with, with the legal business, um, you know, I, I, think that will probably grow and weddings will likely shrink slightly over time, but they'll both continue to exist for, for a very long time. I think these are both lifelong careers for us. Mm-hmm. And how much time is going to be dedicated to, to riding motorcycles? Oh man. So I don't own a motorcycle courses. anymore. Did you know that? <laughs> I didn't. So know I that, went, yeah. yeah, I went from owning and running this very large and it still exists. Some, uh, someone else is uh, handling everything now, but large photography community to when I started weddings, I tried to hold on to it for about four years. And I was like, they're literally competing for the exact same weekends all summer long. And one pays and one really doesn't pay or pays very little. It's a hell of a lot of fun. But uh, but it was it, there was a lot of a lot of conflict, uh, conflict there. And seeing my bike just sit in the garage all summer long was really hard. It was like torture. It was like, I would rather not have a bike than literally see it 
just sitting there gathering dust. And so I actually had uh, a client who the bride bought it for her husband as a wedding gift, um, which was really a nice way to get rid of my last bike. She bought it. They rode off on it on their wedding day. And uh, and then I think the groom wrecked it like two months later. So, <laughs> but but I try not to focus on that too much because <laughs> that was a that was a one off custom bike that I built from the ground up. I bought it in Texas, drove it back, and completely rebuilt it from the ground up. So I don't know where it is now. Hopefully, so hopefully someone repaired it and it it's having a good life in Arizona or something. I don't. know. <laughs> I, I mean, I hear you on that. I had a motorcycle and I got rid of it for the exact same reason because I never got to ride it in the summertime. Every single year, it was just breaking my heart. And for me, also motorcycling was very much a selfish interest because I couldn't uh, include the whole family. It was just me, potentially me and my wife, um, but our kids would never be able to be, you know, you're not taking the whole family on a bike ever. Uh, so there's a time and season for all things. And this is a time for me to dedicate all of that free time to, to my family. And so, so the bike is parked, but you better, you know, that 10 or 15 years from now. So my son's five, my daughter's 10. So 10 years from now, there will be another bike parked out in that garage. <laughs> uh, cause I, cause I absolutely love it. it is, it is the most, for me, it is the most meditative experience that I have ever had. And I've had a lot, but it, I, I can get on a bike and I don't listen to music when I'm on the bike. Um, I just let the wind and the white noise essentially tune things out. And it's, for me, it's incredibly powerful because all of your senses are being stimulated and heightened. You're, you're visually having to, you know, pay very close attention to the road surfaces and to what's around you. You're hearing, you know, everything that's passing. You can feel the temperature change as you go in and out of the shade. You can smell the crops as you drive past the fields. It's just, it's this very, uh, just a very unique experience that I haven't felt or found anywhere else. Yeah, I completely agree with that. <laughs> I miss mine all the time. <laughs> okay. You've got two businesses in the house, but you're doing 10 hours a week in the photography business, give or take, not high season. I personally, and I, 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 I'm going to speak for Angie here because I feel like she's going to agree. Realistically, that's the goal. You know, for, for photographers, there's so much culture out there for entrepreneurs, for photographers, for creatives around this con this concept of hustle. Where it's like, if you're not working, you're not grinding, you're not, you're not doing it right. How do you respond to that? And what would you say to, to somebody who is maybe a little newer in the photography world to get their business to a place where, you know, they get, a, they, they get time to, to build a dog agility course or to hang with their kids or, or do anything like that? Right, right. So the hustle is important to recognize because it is real, especially at the beginning of running any business. The initial investment is, is drastic. You're going to quit your 40 hour a week work job to take an 80 hour work week work job or 80 hour a week work job for those first year or two. And I think that that goes for any business, but it is an initial investment in what you want. I mean, you're, you're sacrificing what you want now for what you want in the future. And ultimately, I think you need to know what that goal is. If it is to work less time, uh, then you're going to have to obviously outsource different things. You're going to have to be able to let go of some of that creative control. And you're going to have to think 
smart in a lot of ways. So if you are finding yourself typing out the same email over and over again, you're going to have to say, why am I doing this? Why am I, even if it's just five minutes per email, if you're doing that 50 times a year, that adds up, you know? And so you want to just start looking for all of those systems to, to streamline it. But once the, once things are running smoothly, that's when you reap your reward and and that is the the end goal and if you are hustling indefinitely if you are thinking that that hustle is what creates your value then you are bound to burn out because that hustle is not sustainable indefinitely you again like i said you can do that for a handful of years but you know, most photographers are quitting three to four or five years maybe into their business. And I think that is likely why is because they're not thinking long term. They're thinking this hustle gives is what's giving me value. It's what's making me money. Uh, and, and, and again, you just you can't you can't do that. You can't sustain yourself doing that long term. Do you have any favorite resources or books or things like that that have helped you along your path in business? Hmm. I'd probably just say um, just good friends, to be honest. I have some really good friends that I look up to highly and who who those those good conversations, those reality checks and go a really long way. I'm really, really fortunate that my wife and I both are kind of business minded and we can have those conversations and work through those those challenges and encourage each other. Um, but again, those and I think Dave, you've said this a handful of times recently, but those five or so people that you are spending the most amount of time with, and that that is hugely important. And so that would be the first thing. I'm constantly as well uh, trying to read miscellaneous self help books and business books. I'm constantly reevaluating just just what I am doing in life and and my priorities, and trying to uh, trying to to just be aware. Sometimes I change, sometimes I don't, but just being aware of them. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. How do you how do you see and and deal with failure? What is what is your personal sort of outlook when it comes to failing in your business? Oh, I don't do. Yeah, I, I I hate failure. I think I think everyone probably does. I cry for a couple of weeks. I pout to everyone. I blame it on anyone else but myself. Not just kidding. But no, I probably there, there's probably some element of truth Stage, to that. Stages uh, of failure. I, I pretend it didn't happen. <laughs> just kidding. But denial. you know, yeah, denial. I I kind of you know uh, failure. If you look at failure as failure, it, it feels a lot heavier. If you look at it like a step towards learning and correction, if you can take that failure and you can you can fix that cog that was in your system, right? We had I'll give you an example of what I felt as a massive failure for our business. So about five years ago, uh, we came very close to having to go to go through court in a full lawsuit. Um, we had a client that was not satisfied with their experience. And what's so crazy is I left that experience hugging them. And we went out to the car and took a selfie with all of our second shooters, our team that worked that wedding. I thought everything went absolutely wonderful. And, and then when these, the client was dissatisfied, I realized that it, it ended up not being the client that was necessarily dissatisfied, but their parents and the clients did not have the same expectation out of photography. Parents had a much more traditional understanding of what they wanted out of the photography, much more 
pose traditional photos and we were working much more on the photojournalistic side of things and um, we had identified all these important things with the client leading up to the day, but we we hadn't spent as much time trying to identify who their VIPs were, who their very important family members and people were in their lives, and and just making sure that they felt heard and that they were part of that experience, especially if they were paying for that uh, that experience. That was really hard for me. I mean, there was a good two months where. I was doubting my whole my, my whole processes and everything. You know, and we were able to resolve that, but I took that that struggle and I've gone back and I've looked at these resource materials and I've made sure that I'm now teaching clients why we don't do a shot list, you know. If if you want me to go around and check off 200 photos throughout your day, then we're probably not the right fit and we're able now to to give our clients a better experience by making sure that that isn't what they want. And, you know, there's, there's a handful of things that we have done. We, we, we ask for a mood board rather than that shot list, meaning we ask for them to pin 20 of our photos. Don't go pin Jose Villa's photos. They're gorgeous, but I don't shoot like Jose Villa, you know, go pin 20 of my photos that you absolutely love. And then let's go discuss what it is about those photos that you love. And anyways, there's, there's been a handful of things that we have then gone back to the drawing board and redrawn out that client experience to make sure that we don't make those same mistakes again. So if you take your failures and you just stew with them as failures and you don't take them as learning opportunities to change yourself, to change your business, to be more compassionate for to your clients for, for, you know, whatever the situation may have been, then it truly is a failure, but it doesn't have to be. If you can learn from it, you can take that as a, as, as a, I don't want to say blessing, but kind of a blessing in disguise, if, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. Also a great way to frame it. But it still sucks, you guys. Yeah, I totally do. It totally sucks. <laughs> anybody enjoys failing. <laughs> but I think, yeah. you know, when a failure does present itself, you have a choice, right? You can wallow in it and beat yourself up about it, or you can take a step back and learn from it. So that example right, you gave right. was great. Yeah. I think as well, you know, <laughs> we prior to becoming self-employed, you just assume that everyone's business is well run. You just assume that everyone knows what the hell they're doing. And then once you get into that culture and you start working with these people, you're like, no, they're just as stupid as I am. <laughs> like everyone's trying to figure this stuff out. Like this is running a business is not easy. Every single day you are reinventing a wheel here or there, reconsidering something that you once thought was easy. And now it's not easy and you have to change that. And the the better you become at being a business person, the more you recognize that you're doing poorly, that you could change to do better. Uh, so it's it's a two-edged sword. And and again, you've been doing this now for 10 years and I, I'm sure that the experience is significantly better, but I now recognize way more weaknesses than I probably did on year one or two when I thought, cool, I'm creating awesome photos. Everyone's going to want to hire me, you know? <laughs> Yeah, I feel like it's like the worst kept secret in all of humanity is when you're young, you assume all adults know what they're doing. And as soon as you become an adult, you're like, oh, no one has any idea. We don't know yeah. how to raise kids. We don't know how to buy things. <laughs> Everyone's confused about taxes. We, we, we say that we say that to our kids all the time. We're like, you know, being your parents are is really a hard, a hard chore. We're just trying our best. So uh, be patient with us. And uh, you guys aren't the 
you know, the most awesome kids either. You know, you could probably do some better things too. <laughs> my dad used to tell me that I didn't come out with a manual. Right, <laughs> <Yeah>. right. <laughs> He's like, if there was a manual, I would follow it. I'm very good at reading manuals, but you did not come with <laughs> A lot of truth to that. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, we, before we, we drop the last question on you, uh, tell, tell the people where they can find you, where they can connect with you and see your beautiful work and, and anything that you want to share at all. Yeah. So, uh, business is JM Gantt Photography. That's was probably the worst mistake I made when I started my business 10 years ago. I wish I would not have tied it to my initials, let alone my name, but here we are with JM Gantt Photography. So that is what it is. Um, you know, to, to those that are just starting your business, if you think maybe you might want to scale it to have lots of different photographers, maybe don't tie it to your name because uh, it becomes much more difficult to scale when it is uh, tied to you because anything other than you is considered not as good for whatever reason. Anyways, so uh, just JM Gantt Photography or Jared Gantt, either one of those should find me pretty easily. I'm on uh, on all social media platforms. So you know, you can, you can find me there and, and don't hesitate. If you want to reach out, I am an open library. You can shoot me a message uh, on any of those platforms and I'm, I'm happy to chat. Perfect. And we'll get all those links out in the show notes for everybody as well. So if you're listening, they will be there. All right, Angie, take us home. Okay. So seeing as business is an adventure, what are the field notes or the trail guide that you give to somebody starting their own business adventure? Let me just say, I think patience is key. I think you need to be patient with yourself through this process. Like we mentioned, there there is no perfect manual to running the perfect business, and you are bound to make mistakes. You are bound to run into struggles and good years and bad years, and, and things will ebb and flow. But be patient with yourself. Give yourself uh, grace and room to grow. And, um, you know, take care of yourself and your loved ones throughout that process. And, uh, it, and, and I think that will go a long way. That's great advice. A lot of times we don't give ourselves enough grace. So it's a good reminder. All right. Well, thank you, Jared, for hanging out with us today. We really appreciate it. And, uh, yeah, that was a good one. Thanks for having me. Thanks so much for tuning into our show today. You can find a transcript of this episode and all of our episodes, as well as our show notes at businessasanadventure.co slash podcast. You can find us on our Instagram at businessasanadventure. We'd also love to see you in our Facebook community, where we provide weekly free education for our fellow adventurers. You can find the link in our show notes. And finally, if you want to get a weekly, not spammy, email from us with our favorite things we've found in the business and creative world, you can sign up for our Field Note Fridays at businessasanadventure.co slash fieldnotes. <laughs>